Hello everybody. Thank you for inviting me into your living room during this Advent season. If this is your first time, I'm D Pastor Dave at Bensonville Bible Church, uh, where pretty much everybody knows your name. In light of COVID restrictions and lockdowns, we're not holding in-person services. On the other hand, we are learning to meet together and to encourage and laugh one another remotely. Today is the second Sunday of Advent, a time of longing wrapped by a sense of anticipation of the completion of our redemption. Advent really has a double focus for us as followers of Jesus. The first birth of Jesus, who will save his people from their sins, Matthew 1.18. And the second, the culmination of our redemption when Jesus returns triumphantly and we rise to meet him in the air, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Our first longing looks back to Jesus' birth at Bethlehem, and our second longing looks forward to his return to rule as king. At this time of year, we are beginning to feel the frostiness of the air that nips our noses. Our fingers are doing most of our shopping. Our ears are filled with dancing lights and decorations. And our ears, our eyes are filled with dancing light and decorations. And our ears are filled with the sounds of carols. There's a feeling in the air. A new day is coming. A clean life slate is awaiting. Yet for many of us, it is difficult to keep in mind the wonder of Advent with the violence and the evil in the world, the economic losses, and the despairingness of COVID. This despondency makes us look forward all the more to the coming culmination of our promised redemption. The gathering storms on the horizon beg us to herald more urgently the need of repentance from sin, the coming of our Lord, and the judgment to follow. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. As we look out, uh, as Judy and I look out our upstairs windows at night, our neighbors lights up the darkness with their Christmas lights. In the evening, Judy and I have been watching one of the many Christmas stories on TV. One story we will miss this year is the Charlie, Charlie Brown Christmas story. I was saddened upon hearing that after nearly six decades, the Charlie Brown Christmas story will not be broadcasted on television. It has been bought by Apple TV+. This is such a sad moment for all of us Charlie Brown Christmas story fans. Speaking of Charlie Brown Christmas story, there is a scene in the story that really highlights the season that we are in. Jason Sorosky summarizes this for us in his blog. It goes something like this. For starters, there is Linus, the little fellow that carries his security blanket wherever he goes. In the story, Charlie Brown asks Linus to recite the Christmas story. At the end of his rehearsing the story, there's a climatic scene as Linus utters the words, Fear not. He right then drops his blanket and tells Charlie Brown, that is what Christmas is all about. Looking at it now, I think it's pretty clear that Charles Schult, the writer, was saying, and it's brilliant. Mark this down. He was telling us that as we celebrate this Christmas, the birth of Jesus is designed to separate us from our fears. The birth of Jesus is meant to free us from the habits we are un unable or unwilling to break ourselves. The birth of Jesus allows us to simply drop the false security we have been grasping so tightly and learn to trust and cling to him instead. 
Essentially, ours is a world in which it is very difficult for us to fear not. It's hard to fear not in our scary world. I think many of us, if we are honest, find ourselves grasping tightly to the temporal for security, whatever that may be, like Linus with his blanket. For many of us, fear is the monster that holds us prisoner to the joys of being with Jesus. That brings me to a scene in the Christmas story found in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Luke tells us that it was on a clear eastern night while shepherds were watching their flocks. Suddenly, God's angel stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A moment like none, none other terrified the shepherds. In that terrifying moment, the angel of God, who was probably Gabriel, told them, Don't be afraid. Because of that, I'm entitling our Advent, our Advent study, Don't Be Afraid. Let's take a moment and ask God to guide our thoughts as we explore what it means to not be afraid in these emotional and bewildering times. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time you've given us to open your word and be reminded of the great gift that you gave that we might be saved from the grip and power of sin. Thank you for the clarity, encouragement, and hope your word brings. In Jesus' name, amen. In the ancient world, roughly 2,000 plus years back, if anyone were to ask as to the most important person in the world, the answer would have been no less Caesar Augustus, who was probably the most significant person in Roman history. Then there was Herod the king of the Jews, Luke chapter 1 verse 2, a horrid evil man. It was a rough and tumble world in those days. Rome ruled with an iron hand. Taxation was oppressive and idolatry was rampant. It was a time of horrific wars as the Roman rulers, Brutus and Cassius and Mark Anthony and Octavian, struggled for dominance. And then there was Herod the Great, who reigned in Judea, who created his own turmoil and evilness of the day. He had, get this, he had his father-in-law and several of his ten wives and three of his sons outright killed. He also fell out of favor with the Roman emperor Cassius. Political instability was huge. In the midst of it all, Caesar Augustus, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, calls for a census. And this is a huge thing, actually. Hindsight tells us that with the census, God was arranging the world setting by using Caesar's call for a census. In doing so, God moves Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, where it had been foretold that the Savior of the world would be born. It's a beautiful example of what we're told in Proverbs chapter 21, 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. So with the census, Joseph and Mary had to pack up and move to Bethlehem, roughly a 70-mile hike, because he was of the house and family of the King David to be registered. Now remember, Mary is very pregnant. And Bethlehem at this time was packed with crowds, all looking for the same thing, a place to stay. And all Joseph and Mary could find was a cave, or a barn, as you please, for the, where the animals were kept. And it was there that she gave birth to her firstborn son. 
We're told in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. <laughs> it's kind of funny here. God used Caesar to prep the world for the birth of his Savior and the message that would follow after him. Why was Caesar Augustus' day so perfect? Jeff Sanders summarizes for us in his blog, entitled, Seven Reasons Why Jesus Came at Just the Right Time. Some of these seasons were, there was a unifying language. Alexander the Great previously had spread the language of, of the Greeks from Athens to Egypt to the border of India. Then there's the unifying law of government. Roman law established one civil cord code from Britain to Egypt. And then there was the unifying trade system. Rome provided a road system to bar none at that time and a shipping system for trade and troop movements downplaying the pirates that lurked in the Mediterranean. Then there was the famous Pax Romana, followed by the Roman and Greek philosophy and pantheon religious system was totally exhausted. And then the Jews, they had this burning desire for the coming of the Messiah. And tucked away in the hills near Bethlehem was a bunch of shepherds. In the historical narrative, it's entirely possible that these shepherds were caring for sheep that would ultimately be brought to the temple to be sacrificed for sins of the people. Now understand, shepherds in the first century culture were considered ceremonially unclean because they were always around manure and dead animals, and thus were excluded from temple worship. Although they provided animals to be used in the temple worship, they could not participate. There were rituals that they could do that would make them acceptable for worship, but this would require them to leave the sheep, which they could not do. So on this tranquil of a night, as the shepherds watched their sheep and stoked their campfires, the darkness was suddenly shattered by the supernatural appearance of the angel of the Lord. And they were caught in the flooding of the brilliant light of the glory of the Lord, Luke 2.9. It was a terrifying moment for them. In verse 10, the angel said to these terrified shepherds, Don't be afraid. I don't think we fully understand the magnitude of what the shepherds saw or felt. Anyway, on, a number, on numerous occasions in the Bible, when people like Isaiah and Daniel and Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, and the guards at the resurrection of, of the tomb of Jesus, when they encountered angels and the manifestation of, the, of God's glory, they were absolutely terrified and fell to their knees, and in some cases, flat on their faces, because they were acutely aware of their sinfulness. Let me mark this down. Isaiah cried out in Isaiah 6-5 as he walked into the temple of God, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then don't miss this. Peter exclaimed after witnessing Jesus' astounding power, Go away from me, Lord, he said, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord, Luke 5, 8. Yet here the shepherds were told straight up, Don't be afraid. The shepherds did not need to fear because the angel came with great news. The good news announced was that God had sent his solution for sin as promised in the Old Testament. Redemption had arrived for all who would call on the name of the Lord. Sin's solution came 
as a baby born in Bethlehem. The birth of the Savior was great news worth celebrating. Peter calls it joy inexpressible, 1 Peter 1, 8. The shepherds, stunned by it all, were told in Luke 2, verses 11 and 12, Today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, actually wrapped in rags, and lying in a manger. Don't miss verse 11. There's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In Matthew 1, verse 21, Joseph was told, Joseph was told that your wife, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In Luke chapter 2, verse 30, eight days after Jesus' birth, Simeon met Joseph and Mary in the temple. And he walked up to them and he asked if he could hold the baby. And as he held the baby Jesus, he gave these powerful words of praise. Mine eyes have now seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Chapter 2, verses 30 and 32. John MacArthur reminds us that too often Jesus presented as the one who will rescue us from our unfulfilled marriages, families, or jobs, from a deliberating de, de, habits we cannot overcome on our own, or from a sense of purpose, purposelessness in life. These issues are only symptoms of our problem. Our problem is sin. Romans 3.10 verse, and verse 23 tell us out of, outright that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and therefore are deserving hell's eternal punishment. The true gospel message is that Jesus Christ came into the world to rescue people like us from sin and guilt, not psychological or artificial guilt feelings, but true God-imposed guilt that damns everyone to eternal hell. The shepherds, upon hearing what the angels said, didn't waste any time. They headed for Bethlehem to search out the facts. The only address they had was a manger with a baby lying in it, wrapped in rags. And we don't know how many shepherds there were, but it was probably a sizable group, maybe 20 or 25 shepherds. They ran through the streets of Bethlehem, going from stable to stable, looking for an infant just born wrapped in rags. They must have created quite a stir looking for that baby. After all, they had been clearly told the Savior, who is Messiah, had been born. And by the way, God didn't warn Mary that a bunch of dirty, smelly shepherds were coming to see her son. What a shock it must have been for her and Joseph, for these ragtag men to come in, looking and peering at them, and then telling them what they had seen and heard on the hills that night. Well, let's pause here and think through this story and how it might impact our lives. My first thought is the fear these men must have experienced on that chilly night. These were men who worked long hours in rugged places, standing guard against wild dogs and lions and robbers, etc. But that night, they froze in fear. Don't be afraid. That's what the angel told this group of terrified shepherds, verse 10. 
don't be afraid. It sounds so easy, so attractive. And many of us would give almost anything if we could get rid of our fears. But the words, don't be afraid, simply don't seem to fit the reality of our everyday lives. There are so many things to be afraid of. There are so many expected storms that can sweep us off our feet. A lot of unanswered questions can throw us off and even panic us. Will our health last? Will our marriages survive? Will we be able to make mortgage payments in, lo in light of the lockdowns? And can we possibly support our families in light of job closings? Will there be enough food for our families to make it through the another week? Or how about toilet paper and sanitizers? For some of us, fear is a constant companion, robbing us of our joy. Jesus came to calm our greatest fear. Our greatest fear, the Bible tells us, is death. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, Since the children share in flesh and blood, that is us, he himself, that is Jesus, God, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives, to joyless lives. You know, Satan's primary weapon against us is death. Death is all-consuming. There's physical death, there's spiritual death, and there's eternal death. When physical death strikes, it brings the culmination of spiritual death. There is no reversal at that moment. Eternity sets in. To be spiritually dead is to be locked out of God's presence forever in hell. Hell is Satan's eternal place of punishment, Matthew 25, 41. Satan wants to hold every one of us in spiritual death until we die physically. Once physical death occurs, there is no opportunity for salvation. It's gone forever. To break Satan's ultimate power, Jesus took our all-consuming death, but refused to stay dead. He died and then rose three days later from the dead. In doing so, he rendered Satan powerless. Jesus' resurrection provides us the hope of eternal life with our God. When we confess our sins and pledge to be a Jesus follower, death no longer holds any fear over us. Jesus said in John 14, 19, Because I live, you shall also live. In Jesus, we are released from the bondage of the fear of death and instead look forward to it because as Jesus followers, we go immediately into the presence of our God, where there is no more sin, no more tears, no more pain, and no more judgment hanging over us. When we confess our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, the salvation of God becomes mine, Romans 10.10. 10. We can then say with Paul, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Fear of death turns in an inexpressible joy, for it releases us into the very presence of our Lord for eternity. So the angel told the shepherds, Don't be afraid. Why? Because he brought good news of great joy for all people. The Savior has come. Don't be afraid. As the Bible states very clearly, there is salvation in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12 Today is the day of salvation for all who would believe this message. Confess your sins, and God will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 The second truth that I think is important for us to follow is the shepherds got the message. God gave these low-life, bottom-of-the-social-ladder guys the message of redemption. They were the first of a long line of people declaring to a dry and empty lives, Hope has arrived. The Savior has come. They ran, they laughed, and they were noisy, I suspect, as they moved through the streets of Bethlehem. Verse 15, As the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the shepherds talked it over. Let's go to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. Verse 16, They left running. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Seeing was believing. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. All who heard the shepherds were impressed. Mary kept all these things to herself, holding them dear, deep within herself. The shepherds returned back to their fields and let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen. It turned out, after all, exactly the way they had been told. Here's my observation. When we are gripped by the wonder of the Savior and truly accept the revelation of God in Jesus, we cannot be silent. Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, and you will find rest for your souls. The message of the Savior born in Bethlehem changed these men radically. Though they were low on the social ladder, they had no fear. They were telling everyone on the streets of Bethlehem about the angels, the manifestation of the glory of God, and the message that the Savior was born. I'm not sure anyone can adequately explain the power of salvation on one's life, but we do know this. There is a removal of something old, and it is replaced with something new. The past is gone, forgiven, and removed, and a new journey begins. Our sins are pushed as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103, verse 12, when we confess Jesus as our Savior and Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Whoever is a believer in Jesus is a new creation. The, way of living has dis the old way of living has disappeared and a new way of living has come into existence. And that, my friends, is absolutely true. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we fall so short of you and your mission. The world we live in is so very needy and hurting. Burden us to sow your word earnestly that we may see a harvest. Take away our sin. Take away our scholarly unbelief and doubt. Take away our fears of what people would think of us. And anoint us with power afresh to sow your eternal word. And like your disciples of old, serve you to the ends of the earth until you come. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, as you go this week, I want you to remember that God sent us a Savior. 
the Savior who is able to break the grip of sin in our lives and make all things new. No one is beyond the reaches of God's forgiveness. No one has gone too far away from God. If you're struggling to trying to wrap your mind around God loving you, I want you to listen to a couple of snapshots. People like you who have a story about being far away and how God has removed their sins and set them free. Don't forget, God's got you no matter your difficulties. If you find these messages helpful and would like to contribute to this ministry, go to our website, BensonvilleBibleChurch.com. Click on the donation drop-down and pick your donation preference. Looking forward to meeting up with you again at next week's postings. May our God, may our God bless you during this coming week.